1: You are now listening to Grinding True Crimes with your host, Maddie Matt, Todd Fox, and Gabby Gab. Hello and welcome into another episode of Grinding True Crimes with your uh, sidekick today, Todd Fox, along with the narrator.
0: Maddie Matt, how's everyone doing today?
1: Matty Matt now is going to be telling you the second part of the girl in the box, but before we get to his second part of his story, we're going to let you know that you could find us on Spotify, you could find us on uh, iHeart Radio, and most uh, you know iTunes and most social media forms as well. And look us up under the uh, gr- uh, Grinding True Crime. So, with that being said, the much-anticipated second part of the girl in the box. Fill him in, Matt.
0: Here we go. Here we go. Uh, before we do, just want to recap and apologize to everybody on the delay. It's been very busy. Um, also, Gabby not on the show today, so uh, give her a shout out as well. But let's do a little quick recap so that we can get up to speed about the girl in the box, it came from good old Germany. <laughs> so do a little recap. We talked about the ten-year-old girl whose name was Ursula Hermann who was riding her bike home from her aunt's house in a village in Germany called Schorndorf, which was about two miles from her house in Etching. Now when she had returned home late at night, her parents knew immediately there was something wrong and a massive search went out to find her, only to find her bike. Then came the phone calls and the strange familiar sounds recognized on the other line. And next there were the ransom notes, which were supposed to come before the calls came because they had specific instructions for her dad, but since the letters were delayed and the instructions weren't followed as plans, it left the kidnappers thinking that they weren't going to pay. Then more letters had came uh, with more detailed instructions, but to the behold, the parents did follow through and they were able to come up with the money that they asked for, which was about $576,000.80. and Five hundred seventy-six thousand eight hundred twelve dollars and sixteen cents. A lot of bread, don't you think, Todd? That's a lot. A lot, but somehow, somewhere they came up with it, and um, with the help of neighbors and uh, other people as well. However, there was no more calls or letters, so they decided to search again on, for her. And on the nineteenth day of her disappearance, they had finally found something, which was a brown blanket. Which was covering a wooden board, covering a second board, which was a lid of a box, which was locked with seven sliding bolts. And when they had opened it up, there was Ursula's
1: body. Hmm. Now,
0: the autopsy the autopsy had revealed that there was no harm to her prior to her death. In fact, the autopsy revealed that she may have died thirty minutes or a few hours of being buried alive oh wow yeah so she died uh pretty painfully you know being buried alive and dying like that is not really well dying alone is not good you know suffocating buried alive and suffocate like that Mm -hmm. that that, that's definitely got hurt um but it was said that um it was said that she may have been drugged beforehand, maybe with nitrous oxide. Ooh. However, upon investigation, they noticed that the kidnappers really didn't want her dead. They wanted, they, because they customized the box, which was about 140 meters deep. It And in that box, it had a shelf, it had a double seating, which was used as a toilet. It had three bottles of water. Twelve soda cans, six chocolate bars, four packs of biscuits. I mean, I guess they they were really prepared. Yeah. Uh, two packs of chewing gum, along with books.
1: Biscuits and, and chocolates people... aren't exactly a good meal.
0: Man, right? <laughs> <laughs> but hey, they. I mean, they knew who they were targeting, so they prepared for that. For their, you know, their target.
1: Mm-hmm. You know
0: what I'm saying? So, however, the box had a ventilation system it was made with plastic pipes but without a machine to circulate the air the oxygen had ran out and thus therefore that's how young ursula died she practically like you said suffocated from uh nitrous oxide jeez so yeah um let me see where i left off. oh because of the size of the box The cops had believed that there were multiple kidnappers. So they had offered $30,000 marks, dollars, which is equivalent of $18,079.81. Okay. That was their offer to find out who was tied to this. So they found a 31-year-old suspect, one in interest, and his name was Warner Muzarek. And he was a mechanic and a repairman, and he was heavily in debt owing the bank over $140,000. So he definitely fit the motives and the cops were on him. However, when he was questioned, he couldn't really recall his movements that night, the night she went missing. And after 24 hours, he finally came up with an alibi. But after searching his home, the police found no evidence whatsoever of him linked to the crime. Later, upon investigation, the, the cops discovered on the box, a fingerprint that didn't match Warner Morsevic. However, the cops had a hunch and they didn't be, and they still believed he was involved. So months later, they had him arrested along with two other friends. And after several days of interrogation, they were released and later, another friend of Warner of was a question, and his name was Klaus Hatchfinger. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I probably butchered his name. finger. <laughs> <laughs> and this this man was an alcoholic, and he was unemployed. Okay. name's of someone who might be a troublemaker, right, Todd?
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And he did prior to his landlord had told police that weeks before this crime took place, which was September 1981, he had seen his tenant driving his mopped vehicle with a spade strapped to his side. Don't know why it was mentioned, but it seems kind of suspicious. Mm-hmm. So they, the police were watching Klaus and um, they took him in. And Klaus had said he was innocent. He, he just wouldn't deny it. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. But on the second day of the interrogation, when he was alone with the secretary, he told her and said, what if I know something? Well, later, when the interrogators came in, the secretary told the interrogators what had happened and what he said. So they took him. Um well, actually, before that, the interrogators, he told the interrogators that Warner Monserrat had told him to dig a hole in the forest earlier in September of 1981, which was the same year and month that Ursula was abducted. So, he also said that Warner, who was the main suspect, had promised that he would give Klaus $1,000 douche-marked dollars Mark dollars and a colored TV. Hmm. So yeah, so that's what he told the interrogators. So clearly the police detectives and all the forces drove him down and he said that uh said, hey find find the area. Tell us where it was. He also said something that when he did dig up that hole he saw a box inside. So when the the police took him to the forest, everything went to a blank. He couldn't relocate the area that he said that he dug up, and he didn't remember anything. In fact, he revoked his previous statement, and after many interrogations, he never confessed again and just said that, hey, you know what, I made that up. They investigated him, they interrogated him, and then he never confessed it. Well, so after a while, they released him without any charges. Wow. Yeah, very interesting.
1: Hmm. So now,
0: bring it back up to speed. So now that we're up to speed, we're going to continue the next part of the story. Okay. That was a quick. That was a quick summary. Uh, so now it's summer of 1982, and after his name was smeared. Warner Marsarek was planning on moving from etching with his family. So he was planning to get up and dodge. He, he felt like this he was innocent, but he did not want to be in that, that town anymore. His reputation was gone. So he was getting his family up and getting about here. Interesting thing that happened that took place. The lead detective who suspected Marsarek as the main guy was eventually replaced on the case. So now more and more people were getting involved with the case. In fact, over a thousand colored posters were posted nationwide all over Germany, asking for help from the public in this case, as well as television program that featured a long segment on Ursula's case. So even though the detective was replaced, many, thousands of people regular people and police forces were on it and they went on a manhunt to find out who and what happened to ursula so now that this new team found more evidence of the kidnappers met of the kidnappers method which included a wire that was strung through the trees along the path that served as an alert system for the abduction Think Ooh. about that, Todd.
1: So this was well planned.
0: This was well planned. They knew. Who, I believe they knew who they were going after, and hmm. they they had this. Yeah, they had this planned out, along with you know with the ransom letters. They knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. So even after finding that and investigating multiple suspects, nothing had came out of the case. And And this is where you think it led to, Cod.
1: Cold case.
0: It started to be a cold case. Mm. In fact, by the end of the '80s, the investigation had wound it down, and across Germany, all of Germany, most people, they 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 just, she just became a memory. They just they remembered the story of the little girl, the teen-year-old girl who was buried alive in the box. It it just never came apart. The investigation started dying down. Oh damn. Yeah. Sad, ain't it? hmm But meanwhile, Ursula's parents and siblings were doing their best to move on with their lives, even though they grieved deeply for, for her. It soon after her death, her parents had vowed not to let the hunt for the kidnapper, kidnapper consume their family, nor let the tragedy define their lives. How would you feel, man, knowing that your daughter was murdered, and nothing.
1: Oh, I'd feel distraught. I, don't, I whole year. Some people want to turn the page. I would probably just, I'd be one of these parents that just keeps investigating, keeps bringing it up any way I can.
0: So you wouldn't give
1: up? No, I wouldn't give up. Well,
0: okay, listen, I got you. Well, they, they... Didn't give up, but they kind of just dealt with it. Mm-hmm. So soon after her death, they vowed not to let the hunt for the kidnappers consume their family, nor let the tragedy define their lives. So without any perpetrators to blame, they simply tried to think of it as a terrible accident. Wow. Yeah, that was the only way they could cope with it.
1: Well, she clearly put the biscuits and chocolate and soda and chewing gum in the box. And then she clearly locked herself in the box and then purposely suffocated. Case closed.
0: Is that what you would have thought? Or what? No, that's
1: what it sounds like the parents are thinking. Jeez.
0: <laughs> I mean, yeah. I guess to cope with it, they probably just felt like, you know what? She just died accidentally. You know, <laughs> instead of thinking that she was tortured, which she wasn't, but, you know, she did... Technically, die of an accident because she wasn't meant to die in the box.
1: Well, some people grieve things differently, and I guess theirs was just, "Hey, let's turn the page." They've done all they could. The uh, police done all they could, and it's just not going to happen, I guess.
0: Yeah. Now it was really hard on Ursula's mom because she felt the she felt the guiltiest Mm -hmm.
1: because
0: she felt she could have went after her when she was on her way home from her aunt's house. He felt that she could have went and got her but she didn't so it really it really hit her the hardest and um but as far as her dad and her sister they turned their faith in god and they found peace with with him to cope with their feelings her younger brother found peace by surfing the oldest brother who at the time was playing music who was her music instructor um He found out through his mom. He was at a friend's house and his mom had called him. And he rushed all the way to the forest. And he was one of the main ones on the search for his sister. And when he saw her in the box, he was crushed. However, he didn't let that devastate him. He just quickly, he quickly turned that into what do I do now? You know, he kind of went on your side. You Uh know what, it's not over for me. I need to continue to seek search for her. So her her brother, her oldest brother, kind of took that role of this ain't over. Yeah. So in the mid 2000s, the Bavarian State Office for Criminal Investigation started looking for an earnest at its backlog of cold cases. But like you said, it is a cold case. And the most famous was Ursula Herman's kidnapping. So mind you, this happened in 1981. And this is now the mid 2000s. Wow. Yeah. So, unsolved and it was still a stain on the reputation of local police and jurisdiction, the prosecutors hoped that the development of DNA profiling over the previous two decades might help crack this case. Now, the mass of evidence from the original investigation, including the ransom notes and the box, was painstakingly re examined. So, now they're going back. They're going back and looking at those the box, they're looking at those ransom notes, and now they're going to see what they can do now. Now that decades have passed, and DNA is starting to take place. Now, numerous hairs were found from which the forensic experts were able to build the DNA profile of several different people. What you thinking now, Todd?
1: I think they're going to find their killer. You think so? With DNA, yeah, I mean... It's pretty spot on, unless they unless they don't have it on file.
0: Man, you, you you're spotted on this one.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> Even though
0: they found, yeah, <laughs> they were able to build the DNA profile of several different people. Now they just needed a match. In 2007, guess what?
1: They what?
0: finally got one. Ooh. A genetic sample recovered from a screw on the box matched that found on a, a screw box match that found on a glass in the Munich penthouse of a wealthy woman who was brutally murdered there in May of 2006. But the police excitement about a breakthrough was short-lived. On trial for the Munich killing was the victim's nephew, who was only a few years old when Ursula was kidnapped.
1: Oh. And
0: after... Yeah.
1: That's a freaking twist.
0: Yeah, man. And after extensive forensic investigations, the judge ruled that no link could be established between the two criminal cases and the nephew was convicted for a Munich's murder. Wow. So they thought they had something there. But it didn't happen it didn't happen to what they expected.
1: So he was a relative.
0: How the match- yeah, man. Wow. How the match with the sample from the Herman's case occurred remains a mystery. Though very rare, mistakes do occur in genetic profile. For the prosecutors looking at the main case, time was running out and her death had not been deemed a murder, but rather a kidnapping with deadly consequences. A crime that had carried a 30-year statute of limitation. So in five years, the people responsible would be in the clear.
1: Wow. Check that out.
0: Check that out. <laughs> So the state prosecutor went back to the 1980s case files to look at the main suspect, who was Klaus Hatchfinger, the unemployed man who briefly uh, briefly said that he had dug the hole. (laughs) Excuse me. However, something happened. What do you think? He fled? You think he fled?
1: Yeah, or he wasn't around.
0: Uh... I'm going to say you're right. You're right about the fact, but not what happened. Okay. He's dead.
1: Well, So he already died.
0: He already died.
1: That's frustrating.
0: Yeah, but Warner, the main guy who the police suspected in the first place, Warner Merceweck was still alive. And he was living with his wife in the north side of Germany where he ran a boat accessory business, and with a friend on Tuesday evening, a snack bar that bore the advertising slogan, No Bert's, Pigs and Warner's Beers, the Finest of the Harbor Pier. So in 2007, Mercevic was placed under surveillance, and an undercover police deployed to befriend him. So they're on to him. Mm-hmm. They're opening up the old cases, and they're opening up the old suspects, old suspects, and now they're about to do a little investigation on on himself because like I mentioned earlier, it's about to be a statute of limitations about to be be reached. So got to figure this out. So the police had planted recording devices in her car, in his car, I'm sorry, and his house and taped his phone. And in October that year, his home was searched and he was asked to provide a saliva sample. However, it did not match any of the generic profiles found on the box.
1: Jeez.
0: Yeah. What you thinking so far, Todd?
1: It could be anybody now. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the two suspects, late. one's dead, one's cleared. Now what?
0: Yeah. And if, like I said, if you look up the case, if you type it in on Google, you can see the box on what it looked like.
1: Mm-hmm. They
0: also show... Uh, the uh, piping.
1: It's on our page, uh, by the that's way.
0: That's on our page. Yeah, I posted it. So check it out, guys. So the prosecutor had one hope left. Among the items taken from Mercerex's house during the search was an old reel-to-reel tape recorder. In the calls to Ursula's parents in the days after her disappearance, the kidnapper had played a jingle. Now, was it possible that the device was used to record that jingle from the radio all those years? What do you think?
1: It's definitely a possibility if it's that old of a recorder.
0: Yeah, you got—you definitely right. So, what do they do? What do you think they do,
1: Todd? Uh, probably forensically try to 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 date it and to see if it works or if it's if it's the same recorder.
0: Okay, you're on the, you're on the borderline. They sent a sound expert, and he was able to access the original recordings of that 1981's call, Mm -hmm. and he spent months conducting the tape test of the tape recorder, concluding that it was indeed used in the kidnapping. Ooh. So they got the device that was used in the recording. So on May 28th, on the 28th of uh, 2008, May 28th, Nearly 27 years after Ursula's death, Mercevic was arrested and flown to Augsburg, a city near Etching. Ursula's parents, who were still living in the same house by the Amherst, which was a, um, a scorned off, I believe. Etching and Amherst, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. They had been notified a few days before that an arrest was imminent. They were also told that they could be part of the trial. Oh. Now, how would you feel todd after all those years if you're the family
1: well if i'm taking the side of what the family did which is to push themselves away from the actual case and move on that'd be like mm-hmm. digging up old wounds man that'd be that'd be kind of hard if i was at that point in my life where she's like a distant memory to mm-hmm. have to relive everything over again that that'd be kind of hard yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I feel like for me, like if I've gotten over it already and I've moved on, it's been over two decades, almost three decades, and you know I don't want to relive that moment and rethink of my my siblings of that time. So I'm like you, dude. I would love to know what happened and love to see the uh, the uh, suspect get arrested, but I don't want to relive that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, they were also told that the, they could be part of the trial and under the German legal system, relatives of the victim of certain serious crimes are allowed to formally join the prosecution or as, uh, as co-plaintiffs. So this gives them the right to view the evidence, request witnesses, and put questions to the judges. Wow. I know you would love that, Todd.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Where do I sign up? <laughs>
0: oh, you would love it, especially if it was the Golden State Killer.
1: Oh yeah, dude, <laughs> give me a crack at that
0: man. guy. Oh man. So Ursula's parents did not want to be confronted again by this horrific, the horrifying details of their daughter's death. So all these years, uh, all these years later, instead, it was agreed that the co-plaintiff would be their oldest son, Michael. Figures. Who was then. Yeah, he was the one who was the, her music teacher. Mm-hmm. The oldest one who uh, went to the forest to to look for her. You're right. Um was in his 40s by now, and he was teaching religion. And he was also teaching music at a girls' secondary school in Osberg. He was a quiet family man, but also one who was not content with half-truth. As his old friend Michael Hofstetter, who was with him and etching on the evening Ursula disappeared recently, told the uh, newspaper. He has a he has a such very deep sense of justice that drives with him. So he's a no nonsense type of guy. He's real chill, but he don't put up with nothing. So he wants to know the truth, and he is ready to stand trial.
1: Mhm.
0: So February 2009, the trial opened. And before a packed court in Augsburg, Marsherick, characterized in one newspaper as a bearded giant, sat in front of his wife, who was also on trial as an accessory to the crime. Uh Uh-oh. Wow. Yep. So reading from a 20-page statement, Marsherick insisted that he was innocent. He's still pleading innocent after all these years. Jeez. He said, I know I was certainly not a good citizen, sometimes rude, and we'll see many attempts to portray me as a bad person, but I have nothing to do with this act. So he's, he's stating this innocent, man. He is not going down. So the prosecution had, had no difficulty finding evidence of his poor character. Mercerick's daughter and stepson had a few good things to say about him as a father. He had also had other scrapes with the law, including a fraud conviction in two thousand four for falsely for false documents. Then there was a story about the dog. You wanna hear that one?
1: Let's hear it. Well
0: in nineteen seventy four, Brick returned from the October Fest Beer Festival. Hello!
1: Figures. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you familiar with that, right, Tom? Oh
1: yeah, we've been to several of those.
0: Man, a good time. So he had returned to a uh, Oktoberfest beer festival to find that the family dog, a mixed breed named Susie, had overturned the rubbish bin in the kitchen. So Mercevic grabbed the dog and locked it in the basement freezer, Hmm. very, very jacked up.
1: I don't think the punishment fits so, the crime in that one.
0: Man, right? Yeah. Jesus. So the next day, his wife at the time who would soon divorce him, went to the freezer to get some meat, only to discover Susie there in the freezer frozen to death. No. Oh. Yeah.
1: No longer a hot dog. Sorry.
0: No longer a hot dog. Sorry. I'm up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I went along with it. I know. <laughs> Sorry. You set me up. Poor taste.
0: Uh, Mercevic later said that he had punished the pet with exile to Siberia. No, hmm. so he really didn't have no remorse for the animal. So he clearly was a harsh human being at times. Like he stated earlier, he probably he did he did he did do a lot of bad things. And deliberately killing an animal could indicate that he wouldn't mind. He, he's he has no heart to kill a, a young girl.
1: That's how it usually starts.
0: That's how it starts.
1: You can kill an it animal. You can king. kill a human.
0: Yeah. Well, let's continue it said the prosecution laid out the circumstantial evidence against Mercerick and he had a motive as he needed the money remember he was in heavy debt with the bank
1: mm-hmm.
0: so that would may have been the motive to do something like that because they did ask for over five hundred thousand dollars worth of uh, money for the girl excuse me so um Uh, going back so he had a motive and that means to secretly build a box because the old uh, workshop while ursula was missing he had been observed listening to police radios and a piece of leather used in the box construction was cut from a belt owned by someone with a large stomach like (laughs) mercerick Uh remember he's a giant
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and in 2007 after police searched and bugged his house they listened in on a phone call between him and an old friend from Etching, where they discussed the statute of limitation for Ursula Hermain's case. Uh oh Yes. In trouble now. However, but the, the key element of the prosecutor prosecutor's case were the revoked confession by Fingered, that he dug the hole at Mercerick's request and the tape recorder. Those were the key elements. They insisted the confession was credible. As the old police file showed, Taffinger's confession was accurate in several ways. He had described the burial site in detail, from the size of the forest glade and the dimension of the hole to the soil condition. The lead police investigator in 1982 was convinced Taffinger Deliberately misled him during the Ford's visit when he could not locate where the box was buried. Testifying in court all these years later, the same policeman described Pepfinger as an excellent actor and practiced swindler.
1: Ooh. Ah. So it sounds like they have Man. a ton of uh, circumstantial evidence.
0: It does. It really does. So what, what, what do you think? And so far, if you were on that case of prosecution, what do you think, Todd?
1: Mm, I, well, I would feel 50-50 about it. It's sort of like a Hail Mary. Like, this is like your last shot. And if I'm the jury, I'm probably like, I need one last bit of something to convince me.
0: one last bit so you, you're not you're not too 100% sure on it you just need that one home run case the yeah home run evidence
1: or some sort of smoking gun piece of evidence
0: okay well we're about to get into that okay now remember what they found in his house right
1: mhm
0: do you remember what they found
1: the leather belt and the recorder right
0: that one the tape recorder okay The tape recorder was the most important and controversial piece of evidence. When questioned by police in 2007, Mercerick said that he had purchased it only a few weeks earlier at a flea market while on a short holiday with his wife. But he could not prove who sold it to him. And nobody at the market could recall such a device being on sale that day. So already, they got something.
1: He's clearly lying.
0: He clearly lied. The state's experts, whose, specified, whose pe- speciality was phonetics rather than audio, described how in the recording of the ransom calls, you could hear a couple of clicking sounds. The buttons of a tape recorder being pressed during the recording of the jingle. When she pressed the buttons on the tape machine, she had, in her words, an aha moment. The sounds were identical. Huh. Other subtle characteristics of the recording also corresponded precisely to the specific machine in front of her. It was, she said, probable that the very same tape recorder found in Merciver's house was used in the ransom call. And they also have pictures of the recorder, too, if you guys want to see.
1: I'll look that up in now, postals.
0: Yeah, you know what it looks like. If you've seen the brave little toaster, it looks like I don't know if you've seen that movie.
1: mm mm
0: Okay, but it looks like the uh, the fan that they had in the movie. If you if you look at the tape record, I'm looking at it right now, and it, and it looks very familiar with the fan and the, and the brave little toaster. So, <laughs> just to okay. give an idea of those who watched it.
1: Brave little toaster.
0: You gotta watch it. Man. It's a pretty funny <laughs> uh, a movie for, back oh, in the day. I'll add There's that here. to
1: my watch list.
0: There you go. Now (laughs) now we're summing up now summing this up, now we're in March of two thousand ten. So three years have passed since the prosecutions in two thousand seven. This is March two thousand ten. The senior prosecutor reminded the court that Ursula had been buried alive in a box, revealing the cold bloodedness and mercilessness of the perpetrators. The three judges and two jurors were convinced finding Mercer guilty, and sentencing him to life in prison. His wife was acquitted due to the lack of evidence. In court, everyone seemed happy that Ursula's killer had finally been put away. Everyone, that is, except one person. You know who that one person is?
1: Was it her brother?
0: <sighs> Wouldn't you like to know? We're going to find that out next week.
1: What? Yeah, man. We're going to cut it off right here. Dang, dude. <laughs> I... All right.
0: Hey, man. I've got you over the edge.
1: Yeah, you have. Good grief. <laughs> I was not expecting this. Yeah, man. I was like, case closed, Johnson. Turn. Let's move on.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I, it, I wanted to make it a two-parter, but when I was breaking it down, I said to myself, yeah, it's got to be a three-parter, but uh. I'm definitely gonna finish this one up, though. But yeah, we're gonna find out who that one person was that was not happy.
1: Okay, sounds good to me. Yes, sir. Well, I Don't guess that's why. I guess that's part two of now that's three. Part
0: two of the girl in the box. Definitely gonna be a part three, and who knows if I want to make it a part four.
1: <laughs> okay, <laughs> sounds good, my man.
0: Hey man, you did you did me you did me dirty with the uh, ghostly killer one, man. Oh, that's right. You put it in six parts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is well, true. I'm break it down. Okay, okay. Sounds good.
0: But yeah, that was part two of the girl in the box. Uh, the name of Ursula Ferdinand from Germany.
1: Okay. We'll get your Deutschmarks ready for next episode. We'll have part three of that. And get your, <laughs> is
0: it Deutschmark or Deutschmarks?
1: Deutschmarks. Deutschmarks? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, Thank it, you,
0: my German brother.
1: And get your, uh, what is it, your beer and your brats, your stein. <laughs> Load up your stein for part three.
0: <laughs> oh, man. My German brother speaks well.
1: <laughs> I try. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So yeah, man. Hope you guys
1: enjoyed it. All right, that's good. That's Maddie Matt on part two of the series. We're gonna go into a part three unexpectedly. And um, before we get, we get out of here, I uh, just want to wish Gabby Gab well. She's we're still recovering, but hopefully either next episode or the one after she'll be back. And then uh, also uh, where you could find us, uh, you could find us on most social media forms, like Spotify, iHeartRadio, iTunes anchor we're all on there under grinding true crime so for todd fox and our wonderful narrator oh sorry
0: i'm sorry sorry. (laughs) (laughs) let's
1: try that again if we're todd fox (laughs) and the wonderful narrator (laughs) have a good evening or day later guys (laughs) later